Well, good morning, everyone. If we haven't met before, my name's Bryson, and we're going to spend a few minutes thinking about the passage that was read for us a little bit earlier, but I'd firstly like to ask God to help us to do that, so let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you're a God who speaks to us, and that through your word and spirit, you equip us to persevere and serve you with thankful and transformed hearts. We'd ask that you do that to us this morning. Father, we pray that uh, by your word and spirit we be shaped and changed. Please, please comfort and incite us. Please challenge us where we need to be challenged. Please change us. Amen. I'd like to start out this morning with a dictionary definition. Our word for the day is ashamed. And my Collins Pocket Dictionary tells me that it's an adjective. And that it means to be suffering from feelings of regret, dishonour or embarrassment in relation to a person or deed. Ashamed. Now I raise that because I'd like you to think about whether or not you've ever felt that in terms of being a Christian. Have you ever, for example, felt feelings of regret Maybe about the commitments involved in following Jesus. Regret maybe about the responsibilities, the, the priorities that are expected of you as one of God's people. Maybe you've expressed that regret by simply being disobedient, refusing to live up to the calling that you've received. What about embarrassment? You ever felt embarrassed about being a Christian? Maybe you've expressed that in terms of your silence. You know those moments in a conversation where you're sitting around with friends or at a family function and really it is the perfect opportunity to speak up as a Christian. It's one of those gift moments to mention Jesus and you don't do it. Now afterwards we often tell ourselves, well, you know, the timing wasn't quite right. Uh, There'll be more opportunities later on. There'll be better opportunities later on. And sometimes maybe that's the case, but more often than not, when we're honest with ourselves, do you reckon we just keep quiet because for that sudden moment, we're embarrassed, we're ashamed. We don't think that Jesus is worthy enough to make us feel uncomfortable over. Now, friends, that is always dishonouring to God when that happens. And it's for that reason that the letter of 2 Timothy, I think, is a really helpful one for us to spend some time in over the next few weeks. Because, you see, that is exactly the sort of thing that was happening when the Apostle Paul wrote the letter of 2 Timothy. So you have a look down at verse 8 with me in chapter 1. Verse 8. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. Look down at verse 12. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet... I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. Look at verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anisiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Three times throughout this opening chapter, Paul mentions this idea of not being ashamed of him or being ashamed of Jesus. Clearly, he is writing to Timothy at a time when there is a very real danger of Timothy suffering from feelings of regret or dishonour 
or embarrassment in relation to his faith in Jesus. Now, why would that be? Well, quite simply, it's because Timothy is written at a very, very difficult time for Christians generally, but Paul and Timothy in particular. The difficulty of the time, it's reflected in those verses like 8 and 16, where Paul refers to himself as a prisoner. He's in jail. So clearly there's a bit of opposition floating around to being a Christian. But in one sense, that's not all that unusual for Paul. He's often in jail. He's a repeat offender. He won't shut up about Jesus. But this time in 2 Timothy, it seems different. See if you would skip across to the very last chapter. Chapter 4, verse 6. It's like getting a book and going to the end to see how it finishes. But chapter 4, verse 6. Paul writes, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. See, Paul's in prison, yeah, but this time he doesn't seem to expect to come out alive. In lots of other letters when he's in jail, he's usually confident of being released in due time, but doesn't seem to be the case now. Maybe he's too old, maybe he's too frail, maybe he can see that the odds are really stacked against him this time. Whatever the case, Paul is not talking about running the race anymore, he's talking about finishing the race. He sees that the time has come for his departure. And so what we've got here sounds like a letter from a dying man to a precious friend, his beloved Timothy, whom perhaps Paul fears he'll never see again. But even worse than all of that, did you notice that terrible verse 15 in this morning's reading? Chapter 1, verse 15. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. This is a time when Christians are deserting Paul and the Christian gospel in droves. Everyone, not just some, everyone, he says, has deserted me. Now over in the last chapter, he'll say the same thing again. In in the last chapter, he'll say that at my first defence, no one, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. Can you imagine what that would have done to the Apostle Paul? to almost be seeing your life's work going down the tubes. as all these people whom he had poured his life into and no one comes to his support. They're ashamed of him. He's a common prisoner. And they're ashamed of Jesus because they don't reckon Jesus is worthy enough to get themselves into trouble over. And you see, it's into that difficult situation that Paul here writes to Timothy so as to beg with Timothy to hold the line, to plead with Timothy to brace himself and not desert his post like all the others have. Don't stay silent and please do not dishonour God by ever being ashamed of the gospel. And here in chapter 1, this plea of Paul's, it operates on three main levels really. Each of them have got applications for us. The first level is a plea for Timothy to stay loyal to Jesus Christ himself. Verse 8. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death 
and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Notice in those verses that Paul doesn't just stop short in telling Timothy to be unashamed. He actually gives reasons for it. He explains to Timothy why Jesus and why the gospel about Jesus isn't anything to be ashamed of. In verse 9, he points out the good news that, the, that, the, that, that Jesus is the good news of us being saved. And then in verse 10, he explains what it is we've been saved from. Jesus destroyed death. And instead, he's brought us into life and immortality. In other words, Jesus is a person who has rescued us from being punished by God by death. He's rescued us from that and has helped us instead to have an eternal life with God. And it doesn't even end there because, as Paul says in verse 9, it's not because of anything we've done that's led to this. It's because of the phrase he uses, God's own purpose and grace. In other words, the good news about Jesus, the Christian gospel, it's not about leading people into lots and lots of rules and regulations so that we get to earn our way into heaven. The Christian gospel is about being forgiven. It's about mercy. It's about being rescued into a heaven that that we couldn't get into ourselves. Jesus is about reconciliation between us and God, being welcomed by a heavenly and gracious Father. And Paul's reminding Timothy of this because he wants to make the point that why would you ever, why would you ever be ashamed of a message like that? Why would you ever be ashamed of a person like that who has done that for us? Matt's a Christian bloke I know who in the first week of uni last year down in Sydney was feeling pretty lonely. He was living away from home, didn't have many friends. There was one bloke though in his lectures that Matt seemed to hit it off with. Around the third day though, Matt and his new friend were chatting about rugby league and what teams they supported and Matt admitted that he was a Manly supporter. It's a pretty brave thing to do because Manly's just one of those teams that some people really love to hate. Anyway, Matt's new friend, he wasn't all that impressed that Matt was a manly supporter, but he laughed it off and he said, well, at least you're not one of those bloody born-again Jesus followers. I really hate them. Now, what would you have done at that point? Owned up to being a Jesus follower straight away? Or kept quiet? Matt took a gulp and said, well, funny you should say that. I actually do follow Jesus. And Matt reckons the guy hasn't spoken to him since. Matt's a bit disappointed by that, but he doesn't regret it for a moment. Because you see, Jesus has brought him new life and immortality. Jesus has saved him and caught him into a holy life that he just doesn't deserve. And so there is no way you are going to be embarrassed about being associated with someone like that. There's no way in the world that you and I and Matt are going to be ashamed of being associated with someone who has done that for us. That is Paul's point to Timothy. But it's not just loyalty to Jesus himself that Paul goes on to stress. It's loyalty to Paul as well. Because the two things are, of course, pretty closely connected. Jesus himself spoke about how if you welcome one of his disciples, it's as if you're welcoming Jesus himself. Jesus takes it really personally the way you treat his representatives, especially his apostles. And so Paul writes in verse 8, Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. 
And then again, we noted down in verse 12, he commends uh, um, one Cyphorus because he wasn't embarrassed to be associated. May the Lord show mercy to the household of one Cyphorus because he often refreshed me and wasn't ashamed of my chains. See, clearly Paul's writing at a time when there's lots of pressure for people to distance themselves from him. I mean, the guy's sitting in a prison. And people being the way they are, you can imagine the sort of comments that were floating around Christian circles. That Paul is always so outspoken about stuff. It's his own fault he's there. He brings it on himself. He's always making trouble. He's always upsetting people. And if they'd been around at the time, you know, you would have had newspapers like the Sydney Morning Herald and the Telegraph. They would have been quoting all these politically incorrect statements that Paul supposedly made and they would have lifted them all out of context so as to cast him in the worst possible light. And as a result, person after person after person is deserting Paul. Person after person after person is putting the boot in. Person after person after person is simply staying quiet. At my first defence, no one came to my support. Now Paul's response is to tell Timothy up front in verse 3 that he has a clear conscience before God. In other words, Paul's saying he's not done anything wrong. He's not a troublemaker. He's simply been telling people about Jesus. Verse 11, of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. And I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. It's a lovely sentiment of confidence in God, isn't it? That no matter what circumstances are, God, uh, Paul has confidence that the gospel will persist and grow and flourish. But it's an emotional plea from Paul. Don't give up on Jesus, Timothy. He is no one to be ashamed of. And don't give up on me either. All I've been doing is telling people about Jesus. Did you watch the Steve Irwin comment, uh, documentary during the week, that Asian's deadliest? That, that, that was the documentary that he'd been making when he was tragically killed. And evidently a lot of the voiceovers, a lot of the commentary, uh, was made after his death during the editing which would have been pretty tough, I reckon, for Philippe Costeau, who was the main commentator. But what struck me as you watched it how, was that how time and time and time again Costeau would say what a privilege he counted it to have met and been become a friends with and worked with Steve Irwin, how important Irwin's conservation work was, how wonderful a job Irwin had been doing. Time and time and time again he would drop it into the commentary. After Steve Irwin was killed, of course, as you know, lots of people came out of the woodwork and criticised him. One producer of another nature sort of documentary reckoned, quote, Irwin was a showman more interested in his own stardom than the animal kingdom. On Monday night, though, Philippe Cousteau was unapologetic. There is no way that he was going to be ashamed of his association with Steve Irwin, despite what other people may have said in the press. Now, that's pretty much what Paul is asking of Timothy here. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. All I've been doing is telling people about Jesus. And friends, look, we're not Timothy. Uh, we're in a different historical context. But I reckon there's an edge 
to these words, which we do well to think about. Because even nowadays, you often hear people professing Christians say that they've got no problem with Jesus, they're happy with Jesus, but they've got real problems with the Apostle Paul and the sort of stuff that he says in the Bible. That what the Apostle Paul writes in the Bible about this topic or this topic or this topic, that, that he got it wrong there. Friends, we've got to be really careful of that sort of stuff. Not only because of the idea that the whole of the New Testament is God-breathed and inspired words, but, but the Bible and Jesus knows nothing of that sort of distinction between Jesus and his apostles. And we be very careful to guard against those who would want to drive a wedge between Jesus' words in the New Testament and the words of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, especially in the light of what Paul now goes on to urge Timothy in regard to Timothy staying loyal to his own personal ministry. Verse 6. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity but a spirit of power, of love and of self-discipline. Now look briefly the background of those verses is that Paul had left Timothy in charge of a church, the church at Ephesus. And here Paul is encouraging Timothy to keep at it because it would seem that Timothy may well have been a timid sort of bloke. And so Paul is urging him to hold the line and especially to do one thing in particular. You find that in verse 13. While you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good uh, good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Timothy's job is simply this, to stick to what he has heard Paul teach. His job is simply this, to safeguard the message of the gospel and to make sure it doesn't get changed, to make sure the gospel isn't watered down, to make sure the gospel isn't compromised, to make sure the gospel is kept just the way it is. Because then as now, there is enormous pressure, isn't there, to smooth over some of the things in the gospel that people don't like hearing to make it just that little bit more politically correct. Now we're going to have a bit more to say about this as the letter goes on. This idea of safeguarding the message and protecting the gospel, uh, we'll return to it because Paul's got a lot to say to Timothy about how he ought to go about doing it. For the moment though this morning, just think of it not so much in terms of how he's to do it, but the basic idea is that Paul wants him to do it because it's tapping into an underlying truth that is just linking all of this together. For why does Paul want Timothy to protect the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why does Paul want Timothy to stay loyal to Jesus? Why does Paul want Timothy to stay loyal to Jesus' apostles? It's clearly because Jesus is an incredibly powerful and precious person. Jesus is incredibly important and valuable because, remember, Jesus has saved us. Jesus has destroyed death for us. Jesus has granted us eternal life. No wonder Paul wants Timothy to guard that sort of news. That's the sort of news, that's the sort of message that's too important to get wrong. It's the sort of news, it's the sort of uh, message, it's the sort of person that, that you can't be too casual over. It's the sort of message that we need to be sure of. It's the sort of message, it's the sort of person that we ought never be ashamed of. It's the sort of message that we ought never 
stay silent about. To that end, let me briefly tell you about something of our plans for DPC this year. Because I don't know whether you've ever noticed it or not, but each year, the session, the elders of the three individual churches, we get together and we come up with a goal, specific goal, for, this, for a particular year that will help us follow Jesus. And over the years, the goals tend to alternate between the two phrases of our church vision statement that's printed on the front of the bulletin. Present Christ to everyone, present everyone mature in Christ. We always want to be doing both of those things, but each year we might focus a little bit more on one. This year our focus is on the first phrase, to present Christ to everyone. In other words, we want to have a year where we are especially unashamed about Jesus. We want to have a year of trying a whole range of things so that men and women and boys and girls in Dubbo get to hear about Jesus destroying death. They get to hear about Jesus bringing in life and immortality. Now, the Clag Kids Club that was on during the last week of the holidays, that was part of that aim. It was a project that grew out of this church, and it was terrific. Alan did a count on the last day, I think it was. There was about 45 kids. Over half of them came from non-church families. That's wonderful. But we want to keep on trying things throughout the year. In the sea change topics that we look at later on this year, there's going to be some new and useful short courses that are going to help us be trained to defend the gospel and explain the message about Jesus to our friends. We're hoping to have a week later on in the year where all three churches combine for some high-profile outreach events. We're hoping to line up John Dixon to come and speak at those. Uh, some of you have probably read John, some of John Dixon's books. He is a very, very gifted evangelist. And hopefully we'll be able to confirm that with him this coming week. He's a talented musician and we're hoping to get him into some of our high schools as well. This year, we've also been thinking hard about whether or not the time is right for DPC to plant another church, a fourth church. And as the year goes on, we're going to be investigating some of the options revolving around that. The PLT for Morning Church, thinking through how outreach can be a focus for your church camp and how the small groups can build up to that. We're actually hoping this will be a year with lots and lots of opportunities for telling people about Jesus because we want to make 2007 a year for not being ashamed to testify about our Lord. For friends, our Lord is too precious to not testify about. Our Lord is too important to not tell people about. And we want to be able to stand up on the last day and we want to stand with the Apostle Paul. We want to be able to say with a clear conscience that we have done what we could for people to have heard about Jesus. I've used it before, I know, but I really love the story that Dave Thurston tells about how back in the 60s, the then Russian Premier Khrushchev was visiting Washington in the United States to have talks with their then President Kennedy. At one press conference, a rather bold reporter asked the question to Khrushchev, what was he doing, what was he doing during the reign of Stalin, when Stalin was killing millions of people. Well, evidently, as the question was translated for Khrushchev to respond to, as it was translated, his face became redder and redder and redder, until finally he just exploded into the microphone. Who said that? Who asked that question? And every reporter had their head down making notes on that end. To which he responded, 
That is exactly what I was doing. And I'm ashamed of it. You get the point, don't you? He'd been keeping his head down. How's your Christian life going? Keeping your head down? We don't want to do that. We want to take every opportunity we have to speak up. We don't want to be quiet about the goodness of Jesus. We don't want to be quiet about the forgiveness he offers. We want to let people know about the destruction of death that Jesus has won for us. We want them to know about the life and immortality that they can have through Jesus Christ. I mean, to not say anything about that. Now, that would be something to be ashamed of. Don't you think? I'll pray.